do you want me to leave you alone with the kale? And she's like, I'm almost done. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenacast, the weekly podcast dedicated to conversations on faith and culture. We are your hosts. I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I am Alan. Thank you for joining us this week. This week, we are going to be talking about food and its connection to our personal stories and how we see it connected to even spirituality and for some of us, maybe even our morality. And after our conversation, we are going to be bringing back a segment called No and Jamonin Food Edition, and we'll be talking about the foods we love to make, eat, and hate. I'm not going to explain that voice, by the way. We just have to guess. <laughs> I know what it is. I've seen the pictures. I've uh, been I'll trying s- out my Batman voice because I got a Batman mm-hmm. mask, and I recently went to Florida, and I got to hold an alligator while wearing the Batman mask, and I felt like a boss. Pretty amazing. But I still can't I, I do think, the voice very well. Thank I think you. That should end up on uh, Instagram somehow. The Insta. Okay, we'll, we'll put it on there. Show. So great. food. We're, we're talking about food, and forgive me, but food for me is like calories in, calories out kind of thing. Uh, you have a totally neutral relationship to food. No, of course not. I mean, neither do I. We can we can dig into my psychology about food or whatever, but <clears throat> I don't know. I do see everything as spiritual, and I do see you know, eating, having those elements, but it, and at the end of the day, it's just calories, right? That's it. I'm, I'm kind of hungry right now. And I'm thinking a lot about food because we're talking about food. And when you say dig into your psyche, psyche, I just pictured like your brain as like a guacamole bowl. And Jeff and I are just taking chips and digging into it. That is very distressing. Then it grossed me out that I had that thought. Mm -hmm. And of course I had to share it. It's a little flattering. Well, just to re- just to go back to Alan, what you were saying is just calorie in, calories in and calories yeah. out. I vehemently disagree. Well, like, there, well, there was an engineering is, teacher who told his students it is just calories in, calories out. He lost like twenty or thirty pounds eating McDonald's every day. The same thing from McDonald's, and he said, "I know it's about micronutrients and stuff, but you're talking about the social aspects of food, right? There's there's more yeah. meaning than just." Well, not even meaning, but like food has driven economies and governments and worldviews. Like I would say the underlining thing that's motivated some of the major events in history, you can at least pinpoint an element having to do with food, Hmm. the way we export it, the way that we eat it. And then also food for so many people is like a way to express their cultural heritage. Like there's so much beauty and art in the way that people prepare it and the way people have fond memories of the way that they grew up and their culture. Like food is so much more than calories in and calories out. And to me that like it is, and even like all, a lot of the central metaphors of Christianity are centered around food and what that means and the connection to our bodies and something greater. I think it's, it's a huge subject that probably one episode doesn't do justice on, and we could probably find different things from this conversation as we go through that we probably take whole episodes and do on. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's way more than calories in and calories out. I think that's a very American perspective. Jeff, you're so excited right now. I like it. I love food. <laughs> we just we just ate at this uh, we just ate at this Ethiopian place for the first time. Uh Vicky and I have tried a lots of different kinds of food. I, I do hear you, Jeff. I think you're right. There is the cultural expression I'm really interested in because for a lot of people that's that's the identity. We have multicultural um aspects of our church that I work at there's different groups who come from different countries uh immigrants and what they cook for the church 
is a large part of them sharing who they are with the church and their identity. We just ate in an Ethiopian place. Have either of you had Ethiopian food? It's very good. So different. Yeah. There's like this. They don't different they didn't from give what, us utensils. <laughs> they give us. They didn't give us utensils. They, they just norms. created this like weird, yeah. c- good tasting crepe kind of thing, for lack of a better word. It's all like rolled. I don't. It looks like little bandages, little ace and bandages. Would you say you di- you, you take it and you dip into it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you use oh it to goodness. grab all the stuff. Anyway, it was vegetarian, so I really like eating with excited. my hands. So I'm generally a fan of good. that. Whenever that occurs, mm-hmm. and sitting on the floor, both of those things you get in Ethiopian food, I believe, right? Hmm. I, wasn't I think eating there, with your hands is a wonderful thing. It is. Really? There is. A I guess very that is cool an aspect of sense that on, we lost. Right, touching food. We don't really. It's just calories in and calories out, though. So <laughs> just. Just make a shake and drink it. It doesn't have to taste That's good. Right. Just, I'll just it's take just a keeping you alive. Mm-hmm. There is a really cool series on Netflix called Cooked that I'm digging. I've seen the first couple of episodes. And the whole premise of it is, A, it's really strange that, especially in the U.S., we're spending less and less time per day making and preparing food, but we're watching more cooking shows. Like we have a whole network devoted, multiple networks devoted on TV to just watching other people cook, which is like really funny. And then the second thing is that anthropologically, um, scientists say that the moment we started cooking is when we became humans because uh, Mm. animals don't cook. So it's kind of an interesting to think about that, you know, as we go throughout our days and our lives, like what's the most fundamental, expressive, artistic thing that we do basically that we participate in every day, whether we create it or someone else creates it, it's it's eating, you know, otherwise we're, Mm -hmm. we're sleeping, we're drinking water, we're finding shelter you know we're talking like primal needs but food is where we get to express every single day and make these like uh, a range of choices around that expression so i think it makes sense what you said jeff it's like fundamentally um culturally embedded in the way that we view food and the way we create food and share food and a lot of us have really good memories about food and feeling a sense of home yeah. And, and I think because it's so important, there's the negative aspect of it. Like food has been used to control and people, a lot of people have mm. very unhealthy things of food. And I would th- say that almost without exception that those, you know, stem from some experience, positive or negative. Like our food consumption is so connected to experience. Like we remember the the restaurant or the dinner table we're at just as much as we remember the meal itself and that there's this it's this this one thing that i feel like we all have in common like regardless like we have food in common because we all need it and we've created such goodness and some people such you know negative connotation around it that it becomes it, it, it's even more so apparent to me comparing to my life now and how i grew up in relation to food and now that i have two daughters and like preparing food and thinking in terms of food for someone else and it's just it's so big and to me obviously i'm very excited about it and so powerful because it's like you you can create not just a meal but you can create an experience you can enhance a relationship like there's so many more things that happen around food than just the food itself that's that's super interesting and and what you're saying about sharing a meal with people um you know, historically in a lot of cultures, it's considered like an active piece to sit down even with your enemies and share a meal. Like that's a, con- a, consul- a conciliatory act because there's a sense of vulnerability in that moment of like sitting down and eating together. Um, there's something about it that you kind of like, you have to 
um, relax and like connect to your humanity, you know? So as an act of peace, it's like very interesting to think about it that way. Yeah. And even in that moment, like you mentioned vulnerability, it's kind of vulnerable to know that people are going to see the way you eat. Yeah. Do you ever change the way you eat around certain people? Like, (laughs) no, I can't eat like that here. (laughs) Or been around somebody who like chews with their mouth open and like makes all this noise and you're like, they become like a revolting human in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. (laughs) I know. I did have a friend who, who was so scared of eating in front of people. So it is a thing. Some people have like real fears. I mean, just on like a regular level, I'm not going to tip a chip bag in front of my friends, right? But I'll do that at home. But when I'm with people, I'll I'll peek, take one at a time. Mm. I'll tip it in front of friends, but not people I would like to be future <laughs> friends. <laughs> hey, but from a biological standpoint, uh, if you're eating, you're otherwise defenseless, right? You're not running, just strictly bio- biological. Point, yeah. You're not running, yeah. you're not fleeing, you're not looking, you're, you're invested in stopping and being physically vulnerable with other people so at that kind of basic level i guess it does build a platform for other things to arise that's pretty cool yeah no i i think it's super interesting. so i've got some like weird quirks i think a lot of us if you live long enough you probably have some weird quirks around food you know especially in a culture where like they're they um we have foods that cultivate extreme senses of hunger um and insatiability but we also have a lot of shaming around eating so there's a lot of complication around that but i've noticed a couple of things about myself in the last couple of years first of all if i'm in a sitting around a table with people i don't feel totally comfortable with and i feel like i'm being made to small talk a lot which is not something that i typically enjoy i'll get social anxiety and i'll start overeating like once i was really stressed out around a dinner table there happened to be a lot of kids making a lot of noise and there's just so much like yelling and i ate like six dinner rolls at a time i was just like oh oh my god i feel so uneasy right now and eating is like comforting me so i think Mm -hmm. it's interesting that like food it can be so comforting almost to a, a a sad a bad degree in some cases but i've also noticed that like um as a kid we didn't have a lot of money and often like if mom brought home like a rare bag of Cheetos, for example, and you have a bunch of siblings all vying for the Cheetos, like yeah. I would find ways to hide the Cheetos or take tons of Cheetos because I was afraid I wouldn't get enough, you know? So it wasn't like we grew up ever missing meals, but it definitely was the sort of thing like you had an awareness that mom and dad didn't have a lot. And, you know, my parents were in ministry and like it just wasn't we didn't indulge in junk food a lot. So I developed a tendency to hoard food. And I guess this is pretty typical of especially kids who grew up in really insecure situations, like kids who've been through foster um, homes, the foster system, or have been adopted a a little bit later in life and have a recollection of not being provided for, that um, food hoarding is really typical. So like now I will buy a candy bar and I will have that candy bar sitting on my shelf for like two months because I just want it to be there. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Like that psychology of needing to feel provided for and needing to feel like there will be food when I want it and need it like is really powerful. It's amazing how even later as advanced adults, uh, we, we still like those moments of food when we were younger still inform the way that we approach it today. Like my parents didn't really cook. It was all like TV dinners, stuff you eat right there. And it was kind of like, this is your food. This is my food. <laughs> my sister and I used to do covert missions to try to sneak food out from like the, <laughs> the cabinet of like a snack that we wanted. It was all junk food. But, you know, when you're in that mode of like, we have to get it, we're not supposed to have it yet or whatever. And we know that if we ask, it'll say no, you get into the habit, at least for me, of eating really fast. So I'm a super fast eater. Oh, my God. It's awkward me too. in social situations. <laughs> 
because I'll be sitting down with someone and we'll be talking. I feel like if they talk for longer than five minutes, my food will be gone and they'll still have all this food left. So I like I'm, I'm in this constant tension when I'm across the table from someone to try to like match <laughs> the amount on our plates. <laughs> because if left unchecked, you're not going to have that vulnerability. You, you're that's your eating habits. You're saying from when you were a kid describe not being able to be vulnerable, right? Not being able to take the time to stop and eat. You have to eat quickly yeah. so, or the resources will be depleted. And dinner time, like it wasn't the case in my house, but if you think about in terms of like when does a family gather the most, it's usually at the dinner table. So if you're in an abusive home, abuse is connected to food. So you see this weird relationship begin to happen that when you're eating or you're around food, you're reminded of those negative times in your family. And for us, our it wasn't abusive, but it was... Uh, obnoxious. So dinner time wasn't a fun time. So it was like, if I can eat real fast, I can just get out of the situation and go. So it was, it's really interesting to see how those those habits just develop over time. And unfortunately, sometimes those uh, abusive moments are explicitly tied to food. Not just context, yes. but their food's used to punish people. Like, oh, you have to keep eating mm-hmm. or withholding food as punishment. And it creates psychological problems for people. I think for me and my background... It was a tangible presence of like my parents' love for us, the way they cooked. Both of my parents, uh, even though my dad was working full-time outside of the home, they would both cook. And they would take turns during like football season when eating was really important because we'd have like three practices a day. They would wake up early and cook legitimate meals before school during uh, football season. Wow. And, and it was like this demonstration of love and care. And it was, it's something that I think I've carried with me in my life is that I do have this sense that there is enough. I, I mean, I have my own issues with food that, that are different than that, but still having this, um, having someone cook for you over your life as a child is a very powerful expression of, of love and care. So, yeah. That's amazing. Well, even now seeing how, how deep that connection of your parents and how that informs you too. Like if we make a face or we say something is gross, like whether the girls have tried it or they've been enjoying it beforehand, that immediately affects how they're going to whether, whether they want it or not. Oh wow. And to see all these little things and how they're doing, how they're interacting with food because of the way that we're interacting with our food and how easily that translates over is I listened to this great um, podcast episode. There's this podcast called the gastropod. And one of the recent episodes they talked about, like their subject was, how do we learn to eat? And they talked about, you know, picky kids and all the ways in which people, you know, teach their kids to eat the right things. Like they talked about the whole idea of like sneaking vegetables into like a cake batter and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And all these ways to get kids to appreciate all these different tastes. Because even biologically, we are prone towards when we're young sweet flavors and then as we get older we become more accustomed to bitter flavors so those those contrasts so when you're a kid a bitter thing is not very good so how do you do that and they did all these different methods and they talked about the you know hiding the vegetables thing really it only creates a further divide between food that they don't want and then cake like it just increases the desire for cake and doesn't really do anything as far as obviously it gives them nutrition sort of in the moment but they talked about this idea called uh, microbites to get someone and they say it even works for adults is changing your tastes by like taking a little morsel, even just the size of like a grain of salt for like every day 
like once or twice a day and they're just, just tasting it. Like, and then slowly over time, if you do that for a couple of weeks, it develops your taste for that new thing. And you didn't have to take like these big old bites and all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing how, how something small like that can change the way that we, we taste things. And I wonder if there's something you can apply to the way that you encounter the experience of food or the thought of food that would do the same thing. I'm not, I don't know if I'm making any sense. No, but. Is it, no, I think you're onto something. Cause like, um, I think that's why like really high cuisine is centered around small bites. Um, and I, I've tried to figure out recently why I tend to eat food without actually t- uh, consciously tasting it in like large bites and quickly, you know? So I think sometimes that can be indicative of the fact that you're not eating like really quality food with quality ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, cause a lot, most of the processed stuff we have, even like organic processed stuff that's, package like nicely at Trader Joe's or whatever, it's still like not as nutritious as making food at home and food that's been like lovingly prepared with like really good ingredients. So it's interesting. So um, that's the real loss. You just said eating food that's maybe not high quality ingredients, processed stuff. That's that's the real loss for I think what I see in my culture and where I live is that the people who make the food are not interested in it being any sort of expression other than making money other than triggering the salt sweet stuff immediately the moment it touches my tongue dissolving a little bit so that it creates like a reward thing in my brain and affecting my neurochemistry they are infinitely more invested in those um types of experiences and less it be less of it being an expression of humanity so this like the process stuff that it's around me feels like it's devoid of meaning in some ways yeah and and when you explain (laughs) it like that doesn't it feel manipulative like i don't want to be treated i don't want to be treated like a machine to satiate Mm. like that's and get my money that's gross even more manipulate your brain chemistry i I think that food itself jeff was talking about microbites food does train our brain and it changes our neural pathways creates neurons Mm -hmm. changes the physical mapping of our brain and there are that that's why this topic is a little uncomfortable for me is there are massive entities of uh, corporations and businesses and people who are studying the ways that they can manipulate people's brains and create atmospheres. That's why like every you know McDonald's looks the same is they're trying to create triggers in your brain to create spending habits and make it more automatic to the point where – it's it happens so fast that there's no thought put into it, and they, they want you to be these, chemically addicted. Yeah, the neural yeah. pathways in your brain. So that there's there there you go. I guess there is uh, an element of using food as control for an entire society, and maybe even multinational corporations do that. And uh, that it, it, and that's what it is. It is the instantaneous rewarding of your brain the moment you eat the food that people try to design. Interesting. So, you know, does, you so s- does that communicate love to me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is that like a parent? Well, you say that, Alan, <laughs> and I don't know if this is like an awkward window into my history or whatever, but you, you started talking about McDonald's and I immediately in my mind flash back to a moment when I got one of my first toys from the Happy Meal and how like when I think of positive yeah. eating experiences, they're almost always associated with fast food. And I honestly, I love fast food. Like mm-hmm. it is... And I'm embarrassed of it sometimes and sometimes I won't say it or sometimes I'll even like, you know, make sure that I go through the drive through at night so no one sees me like <laughs> it's it's what <laughs> it's crafted it was, I told, so that you like it though. Time. It was a special time for you as a kid, right? 
We're going to go to McDonald's. That's how it was for me. We're going to go to McDonald's. Yeah. And it was a time I didn't have to interact a lot, like, like go play or whatever. Like it was, it's, it's really interesting you say that and how I like immediately, I normally don't have those moments where I like flash back to something and I get this weird feeling of childhood, but yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I that's, do oh my say, God, a happy meal I do want to say that that's though. okay. Mm, a happy meal. A happy that's meal. Explicit. They're selling you happiness. They're yeah, not even explicit. covering it up. They're hardwiring happiness. <laughs> I'm reading a book called Hardwiring Happiness, and it's pretty interesting. Um, there's the interesting thing about that is I think it's I think it's totally fine and acceptable for us to have certain uh, parts of our identity with food be special. Like McDonald's can be special for someone who you know their parents took them there was that special time. Like that. That's that's great having that for you as a person. Is, is wonderful. That's an expression of your personhood and your social identity. But for the people who create it on the other side, it is much less of that, if that makes any sense. It's a one way. It's humans responding to machines. Food should be humans responding to humans, right? Yeah. Cooking, creating it, being a part of the human experience. But the moment that basically Terminator has already come into existence our corporate entities are machines. That's all they are. They lack any true human purpose. There's not a real intense care for people. It's a dehumanizing experience. And we have been attaching emotionally. It's like a kid who attaches emotionally to something that's not their parent. It's a misattachment. And I guess I do care about food. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it, it's only oh exhibited care when it, there's an economic motivation. Right. And it, it seems mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, as a teenager, like they had, um, I think they had 69 cent cheeseburgers on Wednesdays. And before church, I remember we would go like, almost every week. There was a oh my God, church. It was, it was 29 cents. 29 cent okay. hamburgers at like a point, 39 cent cheeseburgers. That's at a right. point in my teenage years, I could put away four cheeseburgers. I'm like, I'm a five <laughs> foot six woman, right? Four cheeseburgers. And the thing with that stuff is that it's not only made to appeal to your every taste bud and feel like it's the most delicious thing in the world, but it's a, it's created specifically to um to clamp down on um satisfaction triggers so when you're yes. when your body feels satisfied and satiated and full in a really pleasant like healthy way um that food is made to turn off those triggers so that you keep buying and keep eating it and that's i think the most disturbing part for me because um like not being able to get satisfaction from your food like what you're putting into your body is like tremendously disturbing um so I, yeah, I think just this whole idea of like not having enough, like even when you are eating this feeling of like, I can't get enough, I can't get enough. I just have to keep going. Or if you grew up without enough or you're in a food desert now and you can't get access to nutrition and ingre- nutritious ingredients or your schedule doesn't allow for you to make nutritious food. Like all of that to me is like philosophically, it translates to a threat to survival. It, that lack mm-hmm means that at a basic human subconscious level, you are afraid that you won't be able to keep surviving and thriving. And so that I can understand, given all of that and how common that is in our culture, why that would feel like, um, why would that would create psychological issues around food? You know, Hmm. like you're always afraid of not, of being annihilated essentially. Interesting. And it creates a cycle of wanting and not liking. You were talking about like, you know, never being satisfied. The whole point of food is to satisfy your body. Yeah. And if and if they can turn it's that off, it in your creates, body. Yeah. Do, you want the food even though you don't like it. Like you're, you're, we're not taking the time to sit there and eat it and enjoy it. Those types of food are engineered to just create crave, cravings. And that yeah. destroys the whole purpose of food. So I don't even think you can call it food. I don't know. 
Well, it's, it's, I think the functional purpose of food is to do that. But I would say the point of food, like the philosophical, I, I don't know, I guess food is, is life, right? It On a functional level, it's creating life for your body, like physical, substantiated, you know, I can breathe and continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. But it's also creating that idea of abundant life in the experience or the potential of abundant life in that experience on connecting us and giving us a way to express ourselves and doing more than just sustaining our physical body and presence. And there's so much in what you said, Mona. And uh, uh, forgive me, I'm all over the place. Obviously, I'm a little too excited about this particular topic. No such thing as too excited. <laughs> Not on the but I'm glad you cast. mentioned. I'm glad you mentioned youth group because I remember that. That I mean, the the reason that we went to McDonald's after youth group was basically because of Cat and I. Like we instituted that as as quickly as we possibly could because we thought that <laughs> it was such a, an important thing to follow up a service with, of having an experience of gathering together, and obviously with the means of a teenager and all that kind of stuff. Twenty nine cent cheeseburgers were the way to go. And for me, when I look back at those moments, it was so much less about the food than it was like we've created something that, that the students are going to remember more than the service we Absolutely. just created itself. And we, we did that all throughout our entire youth ministry. We always went somewhere after. And I look back and I don't regret it, but I also think like how could we have done that in a way that balanced the, the spiritual experience part of it and the physical body of it and doing something a little bit more healthy and something that could have created like even sharing a cooking of a meal like something simple like like pasta or whatever that we could have done together in the whole process of that so it's it's really interesting because the connection of experience and gathering is so you know integral to that part i think yeah and those are some of my best memories from high school by the way being at mcdonald's with youth group and (laughs) all the inside jokes and all the silliness that happened like that was so vital to the community and i think a lot of it too is that we actually know because of the internet because of healthy eating you know clean eating phases like more recently we we just didn't know as much about nutrition 15 20 years ago as we do now culturally right very I, true. Yeah, I, it certainly wasn't in the the vernacular as much as it is now. Yeah. Two things that that brings to mind. First, I modeled my youth ministry largely off of elements of yours, Jeff, because I was coming after you into my youth ministry experience, and we did the same thing. We we ate at different restaurants after service, and it was always those that was the the most special and the most connecting moments, rather than just worship uh, and gathering for a youth group. So that was powerful for us. I think back to when I was a kid where I lived in the mountains, there was no fast food. You had to drive 35 minutes to even go to a fast food place. So after youth group, we used to gather in people's homes and eat their snacks or their food or they'd like cook something for us. And it was such a different experience to have 20, 30 kids at somebody's house and having <laughs> 20, 30 kids at like Del Taco or something. But still, it was so special for me to be at Del Taco. I mean, it was, it was a, a cool moment. Second thing I wanted to say, you said that things are different now as far as how people think about food. It's also different how our bodies process food. I just read a study that said it is harder for millennials to stay thinner than it was for the baby boomers. This newer generation, and they they haven't pinpointed why yet, if they eat the same exact calories, they have the same exact exercise, everything else being equal, we are 10 to 20% heavier than the people before us 
even if we eat the same nutrients and they're wondering if it's developing the developing microbiomes of our guts and stuff like that, that might be affecting it. So there's this funny uh, meme out there that says like uh baby boomer Steve or something where he's like, Oh, just graduated out of college, got a full-time job, bought a house at like 19, you know, things were so hard, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. <laughs> they have all these things about how the economy was better for our parents. And for us, it's so much hard. Life is so much harder, but the you know older generation looks at us and just thinks we're lazy. Now they're saying even the microbiomes have changed so much that um, we cannot process food like we used to. Yeah, and Pretty guess what? There, my uh, one of my friends researches gut bacteria at Harvard, and um, actually was telling me about these extensive studies that they've done that actually your gut bacteria emit hormones that tell you what to eat and tell you what to want to eat. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> we have little tiny things in our bodies that are like controlling our minds. Th- this that, is a totally real. side thing, but the future of medicine is moving toward uh, looking at human bodies as like a biome. Not yeah. as just an entity in and of itself that has bacteria, but a cloud of bacteria that has a body. Yeah, so it, yeah that's that, cool. It's pretty awesome. That's really cool. So food is like so important, and I'm going to take it a theological direction if that's all right. If anyone Yay. else has thoughts on, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about gut bacteria anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, we just talked about poop, whether you realize it or not. I know. I, I yeah. <laughs> Alan hates talking about about poop for the background. We try to get him Mm -hmm. to talk about it every episode. And this, again, we have succeeded. Anyway, um, one of the things that I love about the Christian tradition is the concept of communion. Whether you think about it in a sacramental or symbolic way, like whatever your theology is communion, at the end of the day, Jesus gathered his friends and said, eat and drink because of me. Do it to remember me. Like when you come together and you share a meal together, you are celebrating my presence with you. Like that is so magical and awesome. And I think that for me, that's, that really, um, that really solidifies like how I view sharing a really good meal with people I love it. There's like a serious magic for me in it that, um, a, a, a feeling of warmth and a feeling of comfort and a feeling of connection and nurturing that for me is like a religious experience. So when I prepare f- meals for my friends or I gather together to cook with my friends or my family, it's really, really special. Um, yeah, and and, 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 and with that, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I got us I'm both sorry. excited. <laughs> we both yeah, excited. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and with that, you're you're. I mean, the whole the Eucharist being connected to the Passover meal and how that connects yep. people to not only the people at that table, but that whole ceremony and meal was connecting them to their ancestors and their heritage and their history. Like it was this huge thing and and the, the you know the ways that food is used even with scripture even the purity laws like most of the laws their religious practice were centered around food and how to eat it and some for that we probably know now for, for practical reasons but other for more theological and symbolic reasons and it's it's this powerful metaphor throughout all of scripture and and it was the metaphor was used for including and not including certain groups of people if they yeah. could sit at table or not mm. was the question i i like communion because not only was it the Passover that Jesus had his last supper and instituted communion, he would also have said a Jewish prayer that recognized God was the source of all good things, the source of their wine, the source of their food. So eating was an expression of creatureliness, being connected to this creator that cares for us. And every time we eat, it is an expression of us being created by this God that does care, that there is enough food, that this ingestion of the bread and the wine is a physical demonstration of God's love for us and our bodies. And it's this really powerful reminder that I'm a body and I'm not just a mind. 
I'm not just a brain that floats above me somewhere. I am a creature that has been created and I'm limited. I can't go 40 days beyond 40 days without eating food. I will die. I, I have to depend on something and I have to depend upon this world. And every time we eat, there's a reminder of that. Yeah, I, I feel like we could talk about communion forever. It's so cool. <laughs> so but, but, f- yeah, but really, you know, like a very basic, like it sounds dumb, but like I feel for me, it's really profound. Like when you say doing good, doing things to be fully alive are good. You're saying being fully alive is also good. Yes. You know, like to, to, yes. to, um, to bring substance into your body in order to thrive, like physically is also to thrive in other ways and doing it with other people is like the fulfillment of that. The full, so you, you hear Jesus telling you Mona, like eat and drink. It is a validation of your personhood and your existence and your continued existence in the world. Right. In community, in community community. with other people. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that's like so meaningful. Yeah. Don't you think it's sad that, well, I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for me, it's sad that I had to discover that. You know, there's there's constant things we were taught in our religious experience that were kind of ingrained to us, but none of this was. Like, this is something we had to discover for ourselves, and it and it's sad to me because we, well, at least in my background, everything was so dualistic. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. here's the spiritual stuff, here's the regular stuff, and I feel like a lot of my upbringing the negative aspects could have been undone in connection to food if it was framed like that for me earlier. Hmm. I think yeah, that's yeah. a that's a prevailing theme, a prevailing theme in our our show. Our whole show is the idea of we've been moving away from our evangelical roots towards something different. And what I hear both of you saying all the time in my experience is there was this dualistic look at the world being bad, our bodies being bad, and the spirit being good. And that's why communion you're right. Communion was talked about in such a way that it was this disembodied experience. It wasn't us being bodies and taking in this physical stuff. That's never how we talked about it. It was, yeah. oh, we're doing this in remembrance only. This is just a mental exercise. You get it, your it teeny almost tiny portion of a crumb <laughs> and portion. a teeny yes. mouse size cup. And you and eat it by yourself. And you to pretend to enjoy it. And Those crackers were the worst. We nicknamed them uh, Jesus. Jesus. Uh, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cracker de Cristo. So you, but you also eat it by yourself. You're not looking at anybody. Everybody's facing the same way. Some people are, you know, have their eyes closed and they're quiet. And they're, I appreciate that because it's reverent, but it also, it also takes away the biggest element of when Jesus instituted communion, which was in community, like sitting in a circle, not like Da Vinci painted it, right? They're not all sitting on the same side. (laughs) They're actually looking at each other and they're experiencing that meal together. We have completely sterilized it in our traditions, like Protestant traditions and i yeah i just wonder sorry 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 no that's okay i i just wonder if recovering that aspect of the shared meal might be healing for a lot of people and might be healing for how they think of their bodies and the earth and themselves in the context of religion instead of having this very unhealthy disconnect between the spiritual and the physical yeah, and I think what everything what we're describing is very like white cult, like white American Protestant culturally yes. conditioned. Because like yeah. when I went when I lived in Italy for a summer, food you know it was very normal to sit around the table for four hours and eat homemade food, and people like that is actually the place where people connected like around the table. That it was very strange for me to participate in that, and I know for a lot of cultures around the world, like the table is where it's at, you know. But Americans like yeah. we 
we're we're trained like both religiously and culturally to avoid the table and to run around like chickens with our head cut off and definitely not to prepare the food right because you um, because you're not working if you're just sitting around the table right you have to be good earning <laughs> capitalist <laughs> to be <laughs> Well, I visited an African-American congregation once and, you know, church service was just the beginning. There's like a three or four hour potluck barbecue yeah. after like it was just this every week. It was just this amazing like sense of of joy that hovered over. And I was I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was used to a service. You know, our churches, we want to get you in and get you out, which is so opposed to connection and being with people but you know you you get after two hours and you're just like why is this still going but now that i look back i wish i would have savored every moment of that lengthy barbecue after because it was it was beautiful like it was amazing and it tells people there is enough for you Mm -hmm. yeah it takes vulnerability absolutely but it also tells people there's enough for you you have a right to be here and we're glad you exist like that's what yes that's what it's telling people my favorite religious experience with food was actually at a hindu uh, shrine with like this Murti worship. They have um, worship a couple times a week. And I visited as part of my art and other religions class for seminary. And I just observed and was watching their experience after the worship service. They did all gather in a different room to eat together. There must have been like 200 people in this one smaller kind of room with all these tables set up and everybody's eating. And they're all eating the same thing. The biggest difference between that experience and mine growing up is ours are always potlucks. Even the way we do eating together is it's cool because everybody has something to give, right? Everybody has something to, to, to donate to the potluck. That's a wonderful expression, but it's also an expression of individuality. There's all these dishes that are totally different. When I went to this Hindu mandir, there was like these giant pots of just the best food you can imagine with curry sauce and stuff. But it was this expression that we are literally all eating out of the same pot. It was really cool. And I think that that's a, and that's, that to me, that's what communion is about, right? You're not getting your little individual cups filled. You are all sharing the same cup, even though I have really strong feelings about people who are sick dipping their hands when they <laughs> take the bread into the, into well, the, the cup. Doesn't Paul talk about that lengthily? In he does. First Corinthians or second Corinthians, but he says, mm-hmm. Hey, when you guys are coming together, some of you, you're all bringing your own food and eating your own food. And some of you are bringing really elaborate meals and other people are going hungry. And that's mm-hmm. fundamentally antithetical to the Christian message. Everybody should have enough. Everybody should eat the same thing because we're all equals on the side of God. That's like a very specific message in Paul's work. It's and a I metaphor, but he uses the exact phrase. We are all made to drink of one cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, uh, I, but I don't, I mean, germs though, right? I don't want to. Yeah. Well, hey, that, 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 that's why you talk with, that's why we talk with the congregation and say, make sure when you dip the bread, you don't dip your fingers too. <laughs> we tell people uh, that, you know, take a bre- piece of bread big enough. But I guess I'm a fan of having the communion, not the literal wine and bread, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan to get of into com- Go ahead. Go ahead. Not, not to get into communion habits, but I can't dip it because I don't like soggy bread. So like I barely like I touch the corner. He's <laughs> so like, I don't like, like my a, like a little like, drop. I don't like my Christ crucified. I just like Ew. clean. Ah. <laughs> okay, that's not why. But <laughs> no. you know, that's all whatever. I, hear, I don't. <laughs> I just don't like soggy bread. It's gross that you're like pulling out this sopping piece of bread <laughs> from this, slurping <laughs> it in your mouth. Uh, just just a little taste. Gosh. Just a little bit. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I would I think talking about communion, uh, <laughs> communion habits because it's, it's just the tip. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wow. resist. Wow. I was I almost resisted, but it just it just splurted out of me. 
Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Edit that. Edit it. I'm sorry. No. Hey, cold I, open. I, I do want to share this because we're both on this uh, topic and we have a shared. Do you remember walking in? Every time I walked into grandma's house, I smelled like really good food. It just like mm. soaked into the walls. Oh my gosh, grandma's house? Yes. Oh yeah, you walk in and you just smell like this good stew with like potatoes and carrots and all sorts of stuff and like some type of meat. And you just feel it the moment you walk in. And I, it's just so stuck in my brain. Yeah, it it communicates so many things to me um, that I I love going there and just smelling the walls. That's really weird. No, I think what for those actually- of you listening, Mona and Alan have the same grandma. Yes, okay. They're not speaking about a general. But I didn't smell the walls. Just for the record, <laughs> you did. You just didn't realize it. Okay. You just but didn't get meta my- enough. Was it like not. Willy Wonka? Did you lick the walls? Alan did probably the licked the walls. Berries taste like schnozberries. <laughs> we always had good food as a family. I mean, we had so we have sixteen cousins, and they should yeah. go, grandma would be cooking. There'd be stuff cooking all the time. It's definitely like, I think for a lot of people, like a matriarchal thing to do, like cook Mm -hmm. the food. But I don't know. That's one of my goals. I I don't even mean this to be a gendered or sexist thing at all. But one of my goals, not to say that that's, it's bad to be a matriarch and and make the food. But one of my goals is personally to have a big house and just have people over the time and just make really good meals for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I just, that that to me feels like a very epic thing to want to do. Yeah, I want my grandkids to say thing. that they went over to Grandpa's house and he cooked everything. And they That's smelled your goal. walls. That's right. They smelled <laughs> my walls. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so this is a great topic. I'm so excited we did this one. Uh, so any takeaways? What 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 do you take away from this conversation as we, we move into our segment? I would just say, uh, for me, what I feel like I need to do is find food that is food, that is created <clears throat> by people for people that has an expression. If I can, I mean, like I can afford it. I'm not someone who is in such dire needs that I just take whatever I can get. I have real choices and the choices I make should be to consume in such a way that it does remind me that I'm loved, that there is enough that it does. You know, my, my brain chemistry is not being triggered in such a way that makes me completely dependent on a system. That's, that's not human. And to really savor those moments, not to just consume, not to just want all the time, but to actually like food and to like the experience of sitting down with people. Cause I personally have um, a problem with, with not, not experiencing those things when I eat. And after talking about this and thinking about food, I want that. Like I, I, I want to be fully alive. I want to experience the life that f- life that food gives. And that means eating differently. And being differently. I feel the same, Alan. I'm glad you said that because I feel the same too. I want to get better at like really being present, mm-hmm. you know, as I eat and mindful, I guess we could say. But more than that, just like recognizing it as a, a validation of of my uh, existence with other people. Um, I want to recommend a wonderful movie. Um, and it, if you're used to modern movies, this movie is a little bit uh, tough to get through. But if you can just sit with it and appreciate the artistry of it, it's called Babette's Feast. It was made in like the 70s, and I think, in a Scandinavian country. And the basic premise is, I'll just set it up for you. And also, make sure you get the one with subtitles and not when they overdub the English, because the subtitles is, is much more pleasant to watch. Um, anyway, so it's a, it's a woman who escapes the French Revolution. And she spends 10 years living in what is essentially like a Puritan or Amish, like small religious community that's completely ascetic. Like they don't, they don't, they eat boiled fish. They don't drink. They're very stern with each other. They, they are very strict order. And, um, she spends 10 years 
boiling the fish and doing you know, exactly what they ask her to do because she's a refugee and they're taking her in and she's grateful. Um, and she wins the French lottery and wins a sum of money. And it turns out that she wants to make a meal for the entire village. And she starts ordering these ingredients. Well, little does the, do the people know that she is actually, she had been one of the most acclaimed chefs in Paris at the time of when she fled. And so she's starting to order like turtles eggs and wine and all of these ingredients and these ingredients start pouring into the village and get shipped in and the people are freaking out and they're having all these dreams that they think she's the devil because she's ordering all this outlandish stuff and they you know they there's a like a really strong religious commentary on the fear of enjoying food and the fear of enjoying pleasure and so you'll have to watch it it to find out what happens but it's a very very good film it's one of the rated one of the top films and ever made so watch it what is it called Babette's Feast. Babette's Feast. Yes. Awesome. Very famous movie. Wonderful movie. And, and I would say, you know, if, if your experience with food is connected to negative experiences, create new ones. If, mm. like, and I know that's easier said than done, but ne- we should never use food as a tool for anything else but creating life. That creating life inside of our bodies by giving us you know energy and all the stuff that goes along with good nutrition and then the experience around food like be creative with your dinner times if you have and i'm just speaking as a parent now if you have kids like make that a time that they remember not a time of of punishment and eat this because i said so like all that stuff like create create like use it as an opportunity to create things that are that are beautiful and wonderful and that have long lasting impressions in a way that that encourages and uplifts and season your pans right jeff oh yes we sh- <laughs> this is a cooking show i could do a whole episode on properly seasoning uh. your cast iron anyway <laughs> it's a metaphor for life alan i thought it you is. said pants for a minute season your pants oh, no, and i pants. didn't know what that meant no <laughs> that would have been alan going poo way and that wouldn't have worked at all no no no, no. All right. Well, let us know what you think. Share some of your experiences with food, how it's connected to your spirituality, your everyday life, positive or negative. If you have anything to add to this conversation, you can do that at irenacast.com slash 56. That's irenacast.com slash 56. And if you want any feedback related to the show in general, you can do that at irenacast.com slash feedback. We are always welcoming your questions, comments, concerns, and even ideas for future episodes. On the other side of the music, we will be bringing back our Noan Jamonin segment, and we will be doing a food edition. If you are new to the show, our celebrity... <laughs> triplet name, name is <laughs> is Jamonin that we randomly came up with. So it's a mix between Jeff, Alan, and Mona. And uh, every now and then we like to do just a quick segment where we kind of share some things that we like. And since we had this great conversation about food, we figured we'd share the things we like to make, the things we like to eat, and the things we hate to eat. Should we do hate first so we end on a positive note? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. We should do hate, <laughs> make, eat. Hate. What we should do. Okay. Hate, make, eat. Okay, that sounds good. I like that. <laughs> hate, make, eat. Hate, make, eat. You guys, I hate eggplant with a fiery vengeance. I don't even know why. I think really? I'm just mad that it's called eggplant and it tastes or looks nothing like eggs. It confuses me. <laughs> um, but I, I like I I, want when to I like see it. an eggplant, I'm like mad. I don't know really? why. I need to figure out. Is it, be- is it because it looks like it should be good 
And then when you taste it, you're like, man, this is horrible. Cardboard. Yeah, because it's purple. Purple automatically means taste good, right? Yeah. Because it reminds you of it's like berries. It's a beautiful color. And it has I don't a nice hate it. fleshy texture of the skin. Mm-hmm. But the taste, there's something about the taste that I... Ugh. You're right. Ugh. I dislike it because it looks like it should be good. And they include <laughs> it in all these vegetarian dishes like it's amazing. And I get all excited and order it and never like it. So It's a filler at best, man. I can hear that. I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> my whole life i've been on the anti-caramel crusade caramel caramel you don't like how do you car- guys say it caramel 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 it's probably caramel what do you why do you hate it my whole I, I don't like it it sticks to the teeth it doesn't really taste good it's gross yeah I, it I is essentially like burnt sugar like kind of how you that's how you make it like it that's exactly what it is so i, I could see why you wouldn't like it. But I remember when you first told me teeth. that. I know. Everybody's, I, I, uh, I couldn't believe it. That and that and Nutella. I just cannot stand. Oh, my God. You things. hate all the good things. <laughs> I, yeah, I once put on the I, I once tweeted because it was super insightful that if I ever talked, if I ever said what I really felt about Nutella, cats or Star Wars, nobody would be my friend because <laughs> I hate all those things. <laughs> Like the worst thing in the world would be me trying to like work through a Nutella filled car- caramel ball while watching Star Wars and cuddling a cat would be like the worst <laughs> night of my life. I I actually Helen, I'm on board with half of that. Yeah. I don't think Which half? I, I I obviously well, you know me. I hate cats. I think I don't understand why people have them. But Nutella I don't get either. Like it's I don't know. Maybe I'm just good. too attached to peanut butter. Are you expecting peanut chocolate? Peanut butter is wonderful. And it doesn't taste like I chocolate. love chocolate. I love peanut butter. Nutella is a gross abomination of something that <laughs> Yeah. I don't I don't even know how to describe why why it it is like I don't know. It's weird. It, it sounds like it would be good. It has the pr- appropriate packaging that like triggers my brain to be good, but then it's disgusting. I don't buy it because Agreed. I'll eat all of it. And um but I think it's I think a lot of it's what you grew up with. Like my parents went on a trip to Europe when I was a kid and brought Nutella back before it was in the US markets and we freaked out over the stuff because it Wait, was so are, are different we and yummy. listening to Mona saying getting hipster about Nutella that yeah. she ate it before it was you popular. guys I was I was one of the first. All right. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. Jeff, what do you hate? What do you hate, Jeff? I hate kale. I've tried. Oh, no. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but it yeah. is gross. I don't like it. It's got oh, and I I like bitter flavors, but I don't know. There's just something about kale and the texture. I I can't stand it. I'll still eat it, but I have to like hide it into a fruit smoothie yeah. if I want the. But to me, like I get the same, if not better, nutritional value from spinach, and I like spinach. So they're different. I I, One's a cruciferous vegetable, and one is not. <laughs> Spinach is good every day, but you need your kale, man. You know I don't weird, like kale guys? either, like kale chips and stuff, but in a smoothie, it's wonderful. Unless you're about to serve communion the next day and you drink a giant kale smoothie at night and you smell like marijuana in the morning, no matter what you do. And when people come up to get communion, you, you smell like a pothead. That's when you should not be drinking kale. Well, the beauty about it is that I think for everything you don't like, you can always find something to get the same nutritional value 
for something that you would That's like. True. Like we have a variety of things available. But mm-hmm. kale, like I know it's popular. I tried. I can't do it. it <laughs> I, it just maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna implement. We're actually gonna start that thing that I talked about in our conversation. The like microbytes thing. We're gonna do that as a family and like cool. Start to learn to to. So maybe one day I one can come on the now. show <laughs> and confidently say that that kale is my new favorite green. But uh, right now it's gross. Jeff's Let- gonna prove the microbite theory himself with kale. Do it. Last night I was at a friend's house and she was making this beautiful. She did a baked falafel in pita bread. It was so yummy. So she was showing me that actually if you massage olive oil into kale, it takes some of the bitterness out. But at one point I was just sitting in the kitchen and watching her massage the kale. And it was really (laughs) awkward. It got so awkward. And she looked at me and I think she recognized that it was awkward. And she was like, are you enjoying this? And I was like, do you want me to leave you alone with the kale? And she's like, I'm almost done. <laughs> but maybe you could try that here. and see if it helps. I don't know. So you're saying do it. I have more of an intimate you. relationship with the food and rub it down <laughs> that I might like it more. So what do you guys like to make? Make? Make. Jeff makes everything. Jeff, I don't even know how you would choose what you like to make because I have seen you in action. And when you're, hey, maybe that's the key to good food is enjoying cooking it. Because every time someone enjoys cooking something, it makes it taste better. And your food is wonderful. So what what would you say is your favorite dish to cook? This is why when we came up with this, that was the hard one for me to pick. Like, I don't know how to pick. So I finally I finally narrowed it on um, the combination of deliciousness and simplicity because then you can get quickly to the enjoying with others as opposed to other things, even though I like the cooking it is uh, fajitas. And Mm. there's this, um, obviously this is anytime we talk about food, it's inevitably going to come back to me for Alton Brown. So yes, (laughs) uh, Alton Brown does this method of cooking fajita meat. It's you take this uh, skirt steak. It's a, it's a cheap cut of meat, but if you sear it, quickly you can cook it very quickly and and slice it against the grain to kind of get a tender mouthfeel ew and you (laughs) please don't say that again (laughs) i will try not to um but you uh you actually you you do it on a grill but you don't put it on the grill grate you actually put it directly on the coals because that's where the hottest place is and so the 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 ash and the smoke from the coals, like you sear one side, basically it takes like literally a minute and a half each side on these long strips of steaks, and then you let it finish cooking in the tin foil, and all that that searing stuff, like the sauce develops inside the the uh, inside the tin foil, and then you slice it up, and then you pour it right over, and you just throw it on some tortillas, and with the remaining heat while it's cooking, you grill up your uh, your onions and peppers on a on a cast iron skillet right there on the grill and just get it nice and warm. Oh, it's the best. I'm it's super so easy to make and it now. tastes amazing. I know. This whole Yum. episode has been destroying me. Thank you, yeah. Jeff. So that's that's my favorite thing to make. <laughs> I'll put a video link on the show notes for Alton Brown showing you how to do it. It's super simple and it's delicious. What I'll raise you, you an Alton I'll raise you an Alton Brown recipe. Um, his tamale recipe is phenomenal. It takes a while, ah, yes. but, um, I find tamales really fun to make. I just really like anything I can like work with my hands and tamales are essentially like the Play-Doh of food, like getting the masa and sculpting it and, 
Um, I really enjoy, cause especially where I live in New England, there's really no good Mexican food at all. And I grew up in Southern California where there's tons of Mexican food. So that's, that like feels very comforting to make fajitas and fish tacos and uh, tamales and enchiladas. Like anything in that vein, I get very excited about making. Well, the great thing about masa is that you can cook the tamales and while they're cooking, you can take the extra masa and make your own corn tortillas for the fajitas. Sounds like oh, we're planning a barbecue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're going to plan a feast. And now yeah. I'm going to sound like I like this uh, recipe that I have because I'm just super lazy. Uh, I just like one pot. I love making one pot meals. Just taking all the work out of it. You don't have to do anything. You buy the ingredients. You combine it in one giant pot. Put it on the stove and let it cook for a while and stir every now and then. That sounds great. And when it comes out, it looks amazing. It looks like you did something fantastic instead of just opening up a bunch of cans and turning a knob. You know what I mean? Nice. Agreed. Yeah. So, so uh, one pot, uh, especially stuff with curry. So, like a one Yum. pot salmon coconut curry is probably my favorite. But oh, there's a lot of awesome. different kinds. You just go to the store and buy the Thai coconut milk and stuff like that. That's the company. It's called Thai, I believe. And you pour it all in, and it just tastes amazing. Like you made something exotic. Yes. When really you just opened cans. Coconut. So milk. I love the one pot thing. Coconut milk based dishes are really good. Yeah. Yes, they are. My favorite thing to eat, though. So now we're on to eat. My favorite thing to eat would be grilled cheese and tomato soup, just because Ooh. it is the most cover, the most comforting thing in the world. I used to go to my best friend's house after church all the time in high school, and he would make the best grilled cheese and tomato soup for us, and then I would fall asleep in a hammock outside, and the world would be completely right. And it's never been right since then. So. No. <laughs> that sounds really good, though. Grilled cheese, tomato uh, yeah, soup, like and a, a hammock. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. yeah. It really is. Especially when you have grilled cheese made with like white cheddar or like brie or something. Some good types of cheeses and it's done really well. I mean, there's, there's nothing better in the world than that for me. Nice. I, so, okay. So I have a theory for myself that the less I have to chew food and the richer the flavor at the same time, the more I enjoy it. So for me, meatloaf <laughs> is like up there because it's super savory. Nice. I don't have to chew anything. I just swallow it. No, that's exaggerated. But you know what I'm saying? So meatloaf and mashed mm -hmm. potatoes to me is like, okay, I'm, I'm like, like, I don't live in a, you know, retirement home. But I'm just saying, like, for me, I really enjoy like soft, savory foods. Yeah. Um, I think I'm with you with the, the work to uh, quality quotient. Like ribs are great, but it's so much work for me. So much I do work. not like, yeah, getting That's messy, <laughs> chewing, chewing. It's just <laughs> chewing. That sounds my so wife is the lazy. same way. My wife is Your the wife same is way. The like same we'll way. be like, seen her what so do we want to do? What do we want to do for dinner tonight? And I'll suggest like, let's go here. And she's like, I'm too tired to chew. <laughs> she says that all the time. <laughs> I, all the time. You know, Vicky and I have started saying that oh, I'm too tired to chew, or we'll put food in our mouth and just not chew it because we're. <laughs> We're going to You're mind. like taking your You're jaws mind. and moving them. Yeah. It's so funny. But the nostalgia thing, Alan, that's real. Because like for me, there's two mm. dishes from my childhood, maybe three, and they all involve pasta. But like my dad's spaghetti, which was phenomenal. Um, top ramen with a cracked egg and peas in it just brings back so many memories. I try not to eat it very often because it's basically all salt, right? And then we also used to, um, for youth group, we would have chili mac attacks. So this is like an old Boy Scout recipe. You take a can of chili and you take a box of Kraft mac and cheese and you make each and then combine them. So like it's like this chili mac and cheese. And we used Man. to make a giant pot of it and like 30 kids would come over and eat and we'd have these chili mac parties. Weird. And it was such good times. 
that was the first conversation I had with Vicky when we were dating. That was our first like dating oh, conversation. We brought you together. Was about chili mac. I had never eaten chili mac before. I just had mac and cheese, and it sounded gross to me. She convinced me to try chili mac, and I guess that's where it came from. Was your guys's shared background? It's my dad's Boy Scout days. Yeah, so it's, a, cool. it's a good Boy Scout meal. Throw some Fritos on top for a little crunch. Oh, I didn't even think of that, but yes. <laughs> Processed foods for the win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, right? Oh, <laughs> processed foods somewhere. for the win. But, you know, the, the memory connection is super significant. So, I don't know. I get that. How about you, Jeff? Uh, I, ha- I had to go with the tie on this one. I've thought about this over and over again, and I can't not just pick one. So, for me, it's pizza and cereal. <laughs> I-, I knew it was going to be cereal because... I just read something that said like 40% of millennials never eat cereal, like the newer generation. And I thought of you right away because huh. you're like the cereal king. Oh, what kind it. of cereal? I love it. He eats the so many worst kinds. kind of cereal. <laughs> okay, wait, I remember Cinnamon from a- Toast Crunch, <gasps> Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You guys remember Oreo cereal? Golden cereal? Grams? They, they were so good. It was like Golden Oreo, like, Grams. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. my goodness. Yes. Gold, what? Did Oreo it, cereal? What do you. That have sounds- you ever tried. That's not. Does that sound familiar at all? Oreos came out with a cereal. It was like Cheerios, but it was Oreos flavor. Oh my word! Yeah, there's a better version of that. If you just get mini Oreos and pour milk on them, (laughs) (laughs) it's actually way better. I love fruity pebbles growing up, and we could never buy them. We were not allowed to buy them, but fruity Uh, pebbles. We weren't either. The best. Our family was an only cornflakes family. My mom would always make us buy cornflakes, and we'd always want to buy the other stuff, and she would let us. We'd be super excited. We'd all, all three of us boys would have to decide, and it was difficult determining which one. But there's <laughs> so Captain here's Crunch why. Usually, it. I'm sure that eventually I'm going to die young or earlier because <laughs> I got to a place where I recognize, all right, cereal is delicious, and one of my favorite things during the holidays is eggnog. So, what if you replace the milk in your cereal no! with eggnog? Oh. I hate this, I did this. The stuff you and your sister think of, Jeff. She used to pour a little bit. She would do half. She would do half milk, half and half. Ha- I forgot how she said it. There's too many halves. Half milk, half, half and half, or something like that, to make it more creamier. So yeah, weird. That's good. A half, half and half, half. But eggnog would be a little over the top. It was intense. Would- it was like <laughs> I, I have, I have the worst like sweet tooth probably in the history of the world. Like I could sit down and eat. Like, for instance, there was this uh, one of our youth leaders uh, made these delicious desserts, and I won a year of desserts at an auction that we were doing to raise money for, uh, for a <laughs> trip. Oh, we were going my on. word. She, and oh, every I every month, you're talking every about. month I got, you know, yes. a pie and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the first one I had to was banana cream. It's my favorite pie. So she one. comes over to the house. She gives it to me. I was like, oh, great. Thank you so much. And I put it in the kitchen and I cut a slice and I eat it. And I sit down and watch TV and I'm like, I'll just have another slice. And I go back and I have another slice and I sit down in front of the TV and I eat it. And I was like, oh, I need another slice. And I go back and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take the plate. <laughs> and pretty much within the next half hour, I ate the entire pie. Yes. Wow, Jeff. And, but <laughs> the cereal with eggnog, like after four bites, I poured it down the sink. I was like, it's too much. It's too <laughs> It's too sweet. It's too. <laughs> You're like humankind is not ready. <laughs> I was like I thought. I thought it was a good idea, but it just it just doesn't work. Oh my goodness! What I'm hearing, Jeff, is you need micro bites of kale for a little while. Yeah, and massaged kale. <laughs> massaged kale. Listen, I, I I've balanced out. I I still have a sweet tooth, but I I can temper it much better. It helps that I have two little girls watching me and everything. That I do. <laughs> 
Not eating bread <sighs> cuts down on so many cravings for sweets for me, which is really strange. Mm. But but it, sugar is so bad for you. Like sugar is so it bad is. for you, your body. We're not supposed to eat it. Everybody go watch all the things on sugar. John Oliver did an amazing thing on sugar. Oh, no way. It's bad. I'm so hungry. I'm going to go make some food now. So I'll Sounds see you guys good. later. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So that will do it for us this week. If you enjoyed what you hear and you made it through the episode without grabbing some food, or you may be listening to our voices right now and eating one of the delicious foods that we mentioned mm. prior. Either way. If you want to support the show, you can always rate, review, and subscribe on whatever preferred platform that you are listening from. And if you've already done that, you can go to irenacast.com slash support for even more ways to show us some love here at Irenacast. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. And I'm Alan. Thanks for joining the conversation. Bye-bye. I really For serious though, I'm actually going to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Me too. All right. See y'all later.